this is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Didi Bacon will be teaching the message. I just want to say how, uh, what a thrill it was. Last week I asked uh, each of our services to pray for our students going down to Florida, and a um, number of you said you would. Thank you for doing that. The reports are things are going well. They come back tomorrow. They drive 12 hours. Three vans, 23 students, and four or five adults drive back straight from Panama City Beach tomorrow. So could you please pray for them as they travel, that they get here at a decent hour, and that they are, arrive safely uh, filled with many good stories and just thrilled with uh, wonderful memories and mostly thrilled with the fact that they uh, had a faith moment, a, a God moment that's going to carry them for the rest of their lives. Also want to let you know we had said that we would be taking up another offering for our trip to Houston. We leave July 20th. Some 70, 80 of us are going down to Houston to work with families that are still, are still recovering from their homes, their houses being destroyed by the flooding by, caused by the hurricane. And uh, we're excited to return. This is Houston 2. We're excited to return to that work and uh, be part of that endeavor. We would ask that if you have a gift for that to provide some additional monies that goes to resource that, we'd ask that you would put that gift in the box there at the display. It's marked clearly Houston Offering. Please make the, church out to, make the check out to the church and put on the memo line, Houston. Uh, that will be able to help us know where it goes. If it's cash, that's fine. We've also provided an online option to make that donation uh, so that you can do that as well if that's what you prefer to do. We also would like you to go to the, the wall there at that display, and you'll see a, a bunch of clipboards, and the clipboards will have a listing. Uh, you'll have either one or two leaders listed these leaders are the leaders of the various work teams. We're going to be divided into work teams and then assigned different projects. And what we're providing you is an opportunity, if you want, to sign up to pray for that team during the week. And uh, what we'd like is for you to put your name on that and then put your email address. Uh, the reason why we would ask for your email address is what we want to do is be able to provide you live updates from that team. And so if you sign up for, uh, with, for pray for Team Pink or Team Blue, whatever it is, um, your email will be able to work to try to give you some live updates as to what happens. My mom is with us right now at my house, staying with us, visiting from Zimbabwe, and uh, she always said, if you're going to pray for a bike, you might as well pray for a red one, right? So uh, specifics make prayer happen. So uh, that's something that we want to provide you an opportunity so that, uh, you know, even though you're not there in Houston, you are there in prayer. Uh, because it's definitely an opportunity for prayer, an opportunity for ministry and discipleship, an opportunity for doing God's work there, and uh, for you to be part of that in this prayer support time. So please make sure you stop by that display. The uh, clipboards are filling up fast, although some of them are not. So, you know, maybe you should, you know, see one that doesn't have many names and go and sign your name up for that one. That would be great. So we continue on our series entitled Power. We're talking about the Holy Spirit it's been a while since I've been water skiing. I could never master water skiing with one. Uh, I had to learn to water ski with two, 
and uh, it took me a while. Now, I learned, did most of my water skiing in Africa, in Zimbabwe, Africa, in the lakes there. The thing about water skiing in Africa, you have to make sure you, you don't get too close to the shore because you've got little things like crocodiles and hippos and stuff like that that might nibble on you a little bit. So uh, you make sure that you, uh, you, you go towards the middle of the lake because they don't like to go out to the deep. And you make sure you have good friends who are driving the boat that don't like to throw you off um, around those places. Anyway, water skiing. You know, we're familiar how it works. The trick about water skiing is first learning how to get up, right? So you get out in the water, you got your life jacket, you're floating, and they tell you to, you know, sit like this and put the, the handle between your knees with the rope, and then your buddy pulls it and, uh, and pulls you, and you're supposed to push on your, on your skis, and that will bring you up. That's, that's the theory. Typically, this is what happened to me, um, what happened to me then. Uh, <laughs> And I'm sure I'll be thinking that, say, go water skiing, they said. It will be fun, they said. Here's the thing that you learn is that when you're being pulled front ways, you go down. You go deep. If you turn on your back, actually, you can float on. But anyway, that's besides. So it takes a while to learn. You have to make sure that, that you put your knees in. But once you're up, it's invigorating, and you're on your knee you're there. And then you learn the best thing to do when water skiing, the, most, the safest route, is to stay in the wake right? Stay behind the boat. The boat smooths it out. It makes it easier if you stay behind the boat. But, you know, that's not supposed to what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to try to look cool and everything and get out of the wake, right? So you go over there and you have to step over the waves of the wake, which is tricky. And then you're, you're, you're over here and the boat's going there and you're dealing with the rough water. And you need to learn, hey, staying in the wake is better. Again, your friends, if they're nice, they will help you stay in the wake. If not, they start spinning you around and seeing how far they can throw you in the air. Uh, I don't know why I would have such friends. But anyway, uh, stay in the wake because you get into trouble when you try to get out of the wake. You get into trouble when you go over the wake and you don't have the boat in front of you making life smooth and easier. It's always easier many times to follow someone, to see someone go first and take you know, what's coming on, front on, and you can go right there behind them. It's easier to follow someone who goes first. Junior high dance. Girls on one side, the boys are on the other side, and in between is the dance floor, right? And there's a whole bunch of tee hee ha ha music's playing, but no one's going to go until what? Some brave soul decides to walk across the dance floor and ask one of the girls to dance, and when that happens, then the party starts, right? Then everyone follows. Why? Because it's easier to follow someone who goes first. Ever had a group of you friends standing on the edge of a high, high board or at the edge of a cliff going to jump into the water, right? And you're like, ah, ah, you know, and you're all doing that. And then you typically, well, my group of friends, we would just grab someone and throw. <laughs> oh, okay, he survived. Let's go, right? It's easier to go after someone who jumps. It's easier to follow someone who goes first. Church dinners. Everyone's gathered, there's beautiful food spread out, you're all sitting down, we pray, and of course everyone's hungry and everyone's thinking, I'm starving, I want to get the food, but no one will go because somehow it's unspiritual to go first at those times. Well, I've taken upon myself uh, to receive the gift of going first at church meals. Why? Because it's easier. I'm helping my fellow brothers and sisters to eat because they won't eat because no one will go first. It's easier to follow someone who goes first, right? concept of first, it's, it's powerful in, in the Bible. Uh, in the Old Testament, you, you hear about first fruits. 
And uh, this is a, a teaching, you know, God said, hey, if you're going to be my people, uh, honor me by giving me your first fruits. Give me your first, produ- your first produce. Give me the things that are, that are first in your life as a way to s- establish how you're to live for me because I'm the provider of all that's good. The firstborn, very important. Firstborn is the individual who is assigned by the Father to be the one who will inherit all that the Father has. He will be the heir of the riches of the household, the firstborn. You get into the New Testament, you get into Jesus, and you, you see this concept of first as well. Jesus is the first in a number of things. He's the first to be risen from the dead. Paul says, the first fruits of the resurrection. The first who, who died and came back to life again. The first who will provide the way those who follow by faith. Those who are Jesus followers, though they die, they too will rise. Because Jesus has been first, we know too then, uh, because we're under the, you know, in his wake, we too will rise and receive the, what he has received. He is the first to die and come back to life and to live with God in, in, a, in a new way. Now, in preparation for today's message, I came to realize that Jesus is first in another way, first in another way that maybe we don't normally catch, but it's really powerful because the story that describes Jesus being first is actually recorded in all four of our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John describe it, what happened. Uh, John describes a conversation about someone who was there. It's, we're talking about the baptism of Jesus. We're talking about the time in which Jesus went to John the Baptist and was baptized in the Jordan River. It's a significant event, and I've often wondered, why is it so significant? And it dawned on me, it's significant because it's another of first. It's showing that Jesus is the first. He is the first to show the way the way that he will establish by which all of us who follow him will be made right with God through faith. He is the first to be baptized in a way that will be unique to what he will bring to the world. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. If not, follow along on the screen. I'm going to be reading through the Gospel of Mark. We're going to go to Mark's account, starting at chapter 1, verse 4. Here's where the first one, it says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We'll talk about John the Baptist in a second. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's just stop there for a moment before we continue on. John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a relative of Jesus. And if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, uh, you'll know that John the Baptist was... uh, born to an, an elderly couple, and he was one who was designated as to be the last prophet, the last prophet like in the, the prophets of old, the, the men of God who would speak on behalf of the God to the people of God. And John the Baptist came and he began preaching a message, a message from God to the people of God, the Jews. And this was his message, turn away from your sins, repent of going your own way, 
change your life and give it back to God. And the means by which you can demonstrate this decision to turn away from your sins and to live for God is be baptized. Be baptized in the Jordan. And he was doing his baptism in the Jordan River, which is in the southern part of the country, not too far from Jerusalem. And it says people were throwing, coming in, in droves to hear his message and to be baptized, to turn their heart back to God. People of God returning to God by no longer choosing to live apart from God. Baptism was a common, uh, common thing amongst Judaism. It's a, it's a common practice. Ritual washings, the concept of, of being clean and coming up, uh, going dirty and coming up clean. And when you got baptized in the way John was saying, you, you went in dirty because of your sin and you came up clean because of your repentance and receiving of God's gift of forgiveness. And that's what John was doing. But he also points out, hey, but what I'm doing is not what you need to be looking for. What I'm doing is a precursor, a preparation of a baptism that's going to come from the one whom I'm preparing the way for, the Messiah. See, John the Baptist was the last prophet of God who was sent specifically to prepare not only the people of God, but the entire world of the coming who would make a way to be right with God for all people, the Messiah Jesus. And so we continue on in the text, we continue on in the story regarding Jesus. It says this, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth, he came from his town in the north, if you're familiar with that, in Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him, and a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit impelled him, that's Jesus, to go into the wilderness. The, the Judean wilderness is right there. I've been there, visited. It's, it's vast and, and, and it really is nothing out there. But go into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. So what do we see here? We see Jesus coming, he's identified as the Messiah, and he's baptized. But there's something different about his baptism. There's something unusual about his baptism. There's something that happens at his baptism that hadn't happened before. What is that? It is the coming of the Holy Spirit, right? He's baptized, and when he comes out of the water, it says the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. Now realize it says like a dove. It doesn't say as a dove. It's like a dove, which indicates something happened where some entity or some light or who knows what came down, you know, as a dove hovers and comes down and, and came upon Jesus. And there was a voice in heaven that could be heard that said, this is my son who am I pleased. You have God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit all there together at this moment, at this place in baptism. I've often wondered, why did Jesus get baptized? I mean, you think about it. John was preaching a baptism of repentance. Did Jesus need to repent? No, he didn't. We're told that Jesus was blameless. Jesus followed God's law. He was sinless. He never committed a sin so that he could qualify to be the innocent lamb who was, who was slain on our behalf. He could be the innocent blood shed on our behalf who are, are guilty. So Jesus didn't need repentance. Why did he get baptized? Well, here's the first thing. He was baptized to indicate he was establishing a new way for us to be right with God. A new way by which those who follow him will not only be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, 
but also, like Jesus, we will be baptized in a way that will provide a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit in our lives, empowering us to live for Him. The Holy Spirit would be a gift of commissioning. Now, why is this important? Why, what's, what's this got to do with me, Didi? What does this have to do with me uh, in the here and now listening to this? This is pretty fascinating. I never thought of this before. Those of you that have read Bible before and, and, and maybe hadn't grasped this before, well, I'm glad that. Well, why is this important? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, it's important to know that when we follow our first, when we follow Jesus, that what we receive is an identity change, Right? We receive an identity change, but also we have to understand that I, that identity change comes with a calling and empowering to live by that identity in our life. You see, there's two parts to grace. There's two parts to the ministry that Jesus will bring. The first part is forgiveness, right? The first part is that we go from one who is outside of the will of God to one who becomes inside of the will of God, one who is a sinner to one who is now accepted and considered a saint, someone set apart to live for God. We have identity change from, from an enemy of God by the way we live to a child of God who belongs to God and is living for God. We go from one who is under a death penalty to one who is now given a life sentence of living eternal life. There's an identity change. But also, there's a second part of grace. The second part of grace is that in our identity, while we are cleaned from our sin, we're also then given the ability by the power of God's Holy Spirit, not by our own means, not by our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit who enters into our life and begins to live with us as we go in our day-to-day -day so that we can live cleanly for God. I think that one of the best analogies is the, is the picture of marriage. In marriage, you come together around a ceremony. And at that ceremony, a man and a woman, their identity, of course, has changed from, from, from man, woman, girlfriend, boyfriend, fiance, to bride and groom. Those are the identity changes. But after the wedding ceremony, they go from bride and groom to what? Husband and wife. You go through this ceremony. You go through this occasion where vows are shared and, and, and things are done together as witnesses before God and for, for man and to the law. And you go from an identity change from, from single to married, from, from man to husband, from woman to wife. And then the identity change is a celebration. That's why we have a, a reception. And a lot of work has gone into, into the, the whole wedding ceremony. Why? Because it's important to acknowledge that, that marriage is, is significant in our lives and we are going to have a new life in our new identity as a married person. But that's not the end of it, is it? Right? You soon learn... Very quickly, as you begin to live your days, as you're off to the honeymoon, or even maybe in the honeymoon, that there's one thing to say, I have a new identity as a husband. It's another thing to live in that identity as a husband, to live in that identity as a wife, right? You soon begin to learn as you begin to add your days together, living life together in your ups and downs of paying bills and going to work and having children and dealing with all the stuff that comes in your way, you soon begin to learn what it really means to have and to hold from this day forward, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, 
for better, for worse. You begin to learn what it means as you live in that identity. You know, a lot these days, and this is to where I'm going, a lot of folks pay a lot of attention and a lot of money to the first part of the marriage, right? There's sixty, seventy, hundred thousand dollars spent on marriage ceremonies, which is absolutely ridiculous, right? I have two daughters, so it's ridiculous. <laughs> I just married off one pretty cheap, so it was good. All right. The fiancé says to me, I, I, I don't want you to spend a lot of money. I'm like, God bless you, son. I didn't like you, but now I do. But there's a lot of focus on, on the celebration of the change of identity. There's a lot of focus on, on, the, on the wedding ceremony, on, on going from, from, from a miss to missus, from mister to, to, to married mister, Right? There's a lot of focus on that, and that's okay. But sometimes, because of all the focus on the front end, we don't necessarily pay attention to the rest of it. And the focus of what it means to live a married life, and the focus of preparing to live your days together, and the focus of living life together in the same direction, because ultimately that's what marriage is about, and, and the oneness of being together, and the habits that form oneness in your day-to-day. -day. Well, I think that happens, too, in, in church. You know, we got a lot of focus on bringing people to Christ, and that's awesome. That's how it should be. We got a lot of focus on celebrating the fact that we are saved by grace through faith. We're celebrating that we are saved from, from eternal punishment, celebrating the fact that we are made right with God, celebrating the fact that we, we now have a, a life insurance against eternal suffering in hell and, and a, a promise that, that we won't be condemned. We have a, a celebration of our new identity free of guilt, and that's great. But we have to understand that there's more to grace than that first part. We have to understand that there's more to grace, that there's a second part, that when we're baptized, we're, we're changed to a new identity, but we're given the Spirit of God so that we might live for God. And the second part of grace, the second part of grace is what the Holy Spirit is all about, and we need to give our attention to that because ultimately that's where the rubber meets the road when it comes to living out in our new identity and our day-to-day. And so maybe you came to Christ and you're not really experiencing the second part. I don't know. Why is this important? Well, if you're not a believer and you're still investigating the claims of Christianity, still checking out what church has to say, you're here as a, as a friend who's invited you to, to hear the message of Christ, you need to be clear. There's two parts to this. You're going to be you're saved and you're going to live by the power of God. And if you've made that decision and, and, and now you came to Christ and, and it all just seems to be lost right now, maybe you're not experiencing what it means to live by the power of God. You're struggling to live the life God calls you to live. You haven't got a sense that you're walking with God every day. You made your commitment to Jesus and you, you went ahead with everyone. WWJD, what would Jesus do? You, you, you claimed onto that and, and, and now you realize that, well, WWJD still seems to be a question more than a description of my life. You've been a Christian for a time, but the description found in Galatians 5.22 of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It, it's more something you read in the Bible and not something that you read in your own life.
You made a commitment to Christ and somehow the movement of God just doesn't seem to catch you. You don't seem to notice it. You made a commitment to follow Jesus, but you still seem to be in the same place when it comes to your life habits. You're not described as one who is learning and living scripture. You're not one whom you would say, I'm one who could be described as someone filled by the Spirit in my day to day. And maybe it's because, maybe it's because you've maybe failed to miss the second part of what God's grace is all about. That your new identity as one who is forgiven needs to be fleshed out fleshed out as you live by the Spirit. And you need to follow the example of Jesus who was baptized and the Spirit of God came upon him and, he led, and, and the Spirit of God moved him into his mission. See, the Holy Spirit is God's gift of commission and it's something that we need to be aware of something that we need to make note of, and something we need to be committed to. The Spirit of God is God's gift to commission, and I'm being clever, trying to be clever on that word, right? Commissioning is, is an empowering, is a sending out, but also there's the word commission. There's a sense that, that, that when we have the Spirit of God in our life, he, he brings us into the family business of God. As a child of God, doing the family business of God, being equipped and empowered to do what God has called us to do in His work in this world. However that looks. See, when the Spirit of God comes into our life, the things that we consider mundane and ordinary, blah, 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 become holy and dedicated to Him. And even if we are a, a, a trash Pick her upper. We can pick up trash in glory of God because our life is a co-mission with God. It is something that has been assigned by God and God has called us to do that part and be that part by His Holy Spirit. I find it interesting. I don't know if you've picked this up in this scripture I read. So Jesus is baptized, Spirit comes on Him. And what does it say? says he was impelled, motivated, prompted, led by the Spirit where? Into the wilderness. For what? Forty days of temptation and struggle with Satan. Wow, way, woo, what? God's Spirit led Jesus into a season of struggle in order to prepare him for the ministry that was ahead. So you're telling me that the Spirit of God may not lead me into a season of unicorns and rainbows, Superman and Easy Street when I come to Him? You mean to tell me that He may lead me as He led Jesus the first into a season of preparation that may involve a struggle? that may involve challenge, that it may involve difficulty, that may involve uh, circumstances that will force me to rely more on Him and less on me. Circumstances that will really, as they say, make, force me to have my faith hit the road, make the rubber hit the road and, and live and make sure I live by the, the strength that He provides, not by the, the resources that I manufacture. See, 
God's Spirit led Jesus into the desert and resourced Jesus to endure that so that he might then be prepared to go from there to begin recruiting his disciples, miracles, healing, but ultimately, what, three years later, to go to the cross. <laughs> Not another pleasant destination, to go to the cross so that he might die on a cross for you and me, be buried and raised again to be able to provide the Spirit for each one of us who follow him, our first, in our baptism. And so the question that I ask is this, okay, if this is the way it goes, if this is how the Spirit of God is to work and Jesus is the first, how do I, like Jesus, live a life where I can say I am being impelled, led by the Spirit? How, how does that work? Because what I hear you saying, Didi, is that the Spirit is where it's at if I want to live the Christian life that God intended. Well, how does that work? I, I, I struggle. I don't see it. I don't know. Well, that's why we're going through this series. And hopefully I can give you some encouragement here. First of all, you need to recognize something, how the Spirit works. Pastor Tony Evans tells a story of a time he was running late at the airport. You know, why is it that when you're running late at airport to catch your flight, that the gate that you have to go is like in Z26. Have you noticed that? And you're like... <laughs> so uh, Evans was running hard to get to his gate, and as he's going along, he's running, he's carrying his bags, and he looks, and he sees another guy going, and this guy's not puffing and huffing. He's walking actually slower, but he's going faster. How's that happen? Well, we know what's going on, right? He's on those elevators, those moving sidewalks. Those things are so much fun, Right? <laughs> The only thing is that I found that when you get to the end of the moving sidewalk, you got to be careful, right? Because you're like, you know, break your knee or whatever. But those moving sidewalks are there to help assist you walk. He's walking, but not as hard. Why? Because he's being carried by the power of the moving sidewalk. Well, that's a great picture for me. And Evans points out, that's a great picture of how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit works with us to empower us, to carry us. He's the power that moves us through. As we're walking in life, he, he leads us and directs us. He, and as we submit ourselves to him, as we get on that moving train and give ourselves to it, that's how he works. And so the question is, and how, do I, how do I get onto that? Well, you get onto that by the simple. We've been talking about this a while. Practices that connect me with the Spirit. Well, prayer. Prayer is a moment in which you take time to talk to God. That's what it is. You take the time to talk to God. And in that talking, it's not just talking, it's listening. I have a bad habit of talking to God sometimes in my prayer life, and then I'm like, later, you got my list, thanks, bye. And I've really been trying to discipline myself to sit quietly and listen, to build time in my prayer moments where I don't talk, I keep my, my, my tongue bet behind my teeth, and I listen. And you're like, well, that's kind of weird, Deity. Yeah, sometimes it is, just sitting there quietly like, okay. But I'm telling you, it's in those moments that thoughts come to me that I hadn't been thinking about before. Insights come to me from the Scriptures that I've just been reading. 
It's at those times that, that set my, my mind to, to listening. And as I leave from my moment of prayer, I notice something. Someone says something to me or someone shares something with me or someone who is in my community of faith uh, pours into me. And I'm aware of it because I, I set my ears to listen. I encourage you, if you want to live by the Spirit, uh, build listening into your prayer time. Spoke about this last week. Bible study is not for study alone. I'd rather you think of it as Bible training, and what you're training is, is you're attuning your ear to hear the voice of God. You're tuning your ear to hear the Spirit of God. Contained with us in the Bible are the words of God from His Spirit by which we can have full confidence in knowing this is how God talks and this is what God wants. And as we become familiar with the word of, words of God, then we become aware in our inner being, we become aware in our life of when God puts a prompt on us by His Spirit as we live our day-to-day -day in the details of our life. I recognize my wife's voice. Why? Because I spend time listening to her. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. No, I spend time listening. I know my kid's voice. Why? Because they're in my family and I spend time talking to them. My kids don't have to call me and say, hey, Dad, this is Andrew. I know it's Andrew. Why? Because I recognize his voice. How do I recognize his voice? I spend time talking and listening and being around him. Well, it's the same thing with the Bible. The Bible is a way in which we can hear the Word of God, we can train ourselves by in training our ears to listen to Him so that when He does speak to us and prompt us, and we have things like, you know, what Jesus has described, prompted, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, we, we can be in tune with that. If we give ourselves to obedience, too many times people get all hung up about the hard stuff of the Bible, and, and there is hard stuff in the Bible, but there's a ton of easy stuff that's obvious that we can give ourselves to try to obey, right? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Okay. That means I will take out the trash without complaining today. I will put away the dishes without complaining. I will make sure I, you know, close the door because I always leave it open and it annoys her. And I don't know why it annoys her, but anyway, it does, right? Speak the truth to one another, love. Forgive those who offend you. Obvious stuff. When you submit yourself to putting that into practice by the power of the Spirit, then you begin to attune your life to walking in the Spirit. So a while ago, my wife and I were really into river dance. How many of you remember Scottish dancing, Michael Flatley river dance? I know, it's like way back in the 90s. <laughs> All right? So we went to the concert. We were impressed by the concert. In fact, uh, got a little picture here of the river dance. Remember that? Remember that? They did that on the feet. Clackety clack, clack, clack. Looking how, you know, you're like, that guy's going to have busted knees by the time he's 55. But I think he was 55 then. Anyway. Remember that, remember that show? Well, the whole theme of it is called the Lord of the Dance, River Dance, but it's called Lord of the Dance. And uh, the Lord of the Dance, that tune that you heard, dance then, wherever you may be, I am the Lord of the Dance. You remember that? Right? That is actually a Christian song. It's a Christian song, and the chorus goes like this. Dance then, whenever you may be, I am the Lord of the Dance, said he, and I'll lead you all wherever you may be, I'll lead you all in the dance, said he. 
It's a song about the work of Jesus from birth to resurrection. And I find it fascinating that the song describes Jesus as the Lord of the dance. And it means to think, of, okay, Jesus, the Spirit working in our life as a dance. And then it hit me, like, wow. This is a dance in which we have to learn the steps to be in harmony with our dance partner, the Spirit, right? If, if this is a concept that, that actually fits nicely with this whole admonition, this whole encouragement to live by the Spirit, walk with the Spirit, have the fruit of the Spirit, have the gifts of the Spirit, live your life in harmony with God, submit yourself daily to the Spirit. Well, you can say it's like learning to dance. And how do you learn to dance? You learn to dance with a partner through practice. You start basic, and then you add steps. I know some people think they can dance automatically, like they've given the gift of the dance, and then these are the people that show up on YouTube for all of us to laugh on, right? You know some of you. You know who I'm talking about, Jacob Wall. Anyway, yes, yeah, so, yeah, right? But if you really want to dance well, you have to learn the steps starting in the basics, well, it's the same thing with living the second part of grace. If you want to learn to live by the Spirit, you start with the basics, the steps. If you want to dance in life, living your life as a dance in harmony with the Spirit, you start with the basics. And what are the basics? I've just shared them with you. Bible study, prayer, fellowship in a community of faith where you have older, more mature Christians who are there to encourage and model and pray with you in giving service. You know, why are we going to Houston? Well, we're going to Houston because we feel a calling. We prayerfully sort that out. But also, it's an opportunity to provide folks within our church to say yes to the prompting of the Spirit, to say, yes, I feel a calling to give what I have in building houses and repairing houses and ministering to folks. Take some time away from work. Take some time away from my normal routine. Go out there, be in the blistering heat, deal with mosquitoes the size of vultures. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm going to do all that. Why? Because I feel like God's Spirit is calling me into that. It's kind of a wilderness. And in doing that, what are you doing? You are submitting yourself to a prompting of the Spirit within the calling of church and the work of church so that you can live in harmony with the Spirit. And what are you learning? You're learning to live by the Spirit. Baby steps, learning to dance. I want every one of you to have God's full gift of grace. So I don't want you just to, to have a new identity. I think that's, that's not what God provides only. He provides a full measure of grace. And what is that full measure? You're not only going to be called to be a child of God, you're going to be called to be equipped by the Spirit of God in your life so that you may live as God's child, being engaged in the family business. And you will have a mission that comes from God. You will be given the spirit of commission, commission. God will call you to the work that he's called his people to in this world. And that has impact, loving God, loving people, impact that has eternal reverberations. I want everyone here to learn the Lord of the dance and to live by the Spirit. But it's up to us to give ourselves to it, submit ourselves. And as we go through this, to look at our first example, to look at Jesus, right? Baptized, 
forgiveness and commission of the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to then have the Spirit lead him into and empower him in his work and ministry. Leading us as we follow behind his wake. The question is, will you give yourself to following him? I'm going to ask that we stand. I'm going to ask our friends to come down. They're going to be available up front. I think it's Chris and Alan are going to be able to pray with you, share with you if you need anything. But we're going to pray together and be done from our time together. Lord, thanks for this opportunity to be here. Thanks for this message. Thanks for the word. Pray that you would help. I pray that everyone here that, that is here will have heard the message and will fully experience the fullness of your gift of grace, the power of the Spirit in their lives. I pray that... Uh, Galatians 5.22 will be not something we read, but something that we live. And that we'll have a people here in Mount Carmel who are characterized, those people are filled with the Spirit. Now, not because of the craziness in their worship services, no, but because of the love, because of the love and application of your word in their daily lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.